Hello, my name is Federico Toledo and welcome to the Quality Sense podcast, where you will have the chance to improve your sense for quality by listening to some leaders who are amazing at what they do in the software industry. In each show, I'll have a one-on-one -on -one chat with them discussing specific topics related to software testing and quality. Today, I will share with you a conversation with Andreas Grabner, or Andy Grabner as we all know him. From Austria, he has more than 20 years of experience in the field, always sharing his knowledge about performance engineering, especially through his podcast called Pure Performance. He's a frequent speaker at technology conferences. I think I met him in every conference related to performance in different countries. During the interview, we talked about why performance engineering is so enjoyable. Also, we visited some basic concepts related to performance testing in continuous delivery because I wanted to talk about Captain, the open source project that Andy has been working on during the last couple of years. I really admire how Andy can explain a lot of very complex concepts easily. Without further ado, let's listen to the full interview. Enjoy. Hello, Andy. How are you doing today? Hola, Federico. Muy bien. <laughs> ¿Y tú? Muy bien, muy bien. Uh, I, I know that you have a strong connection with Latin America, right? I, yeah, you, I, I think it's really strong and the, the ring on my finger tells me, you know, oh. what type of bondage it is. Yeah, my wife is uh, Colombian. Yeah, I know, I know. Perfect. And I, I can see, I was uh, saying before that I can see that your Spanish is improving really fast. Uh, well, thanks for that. I, it would be better if it's even faster improving, but I'm doing, as I told you, Duolingo every day. Uh, based on the stats, I've been doing it for 306 days straight, uh, oh, but still not enough. It's just like individual courses that I do, but uh, I would need more time. But yeah, it's definitely improving. That's true. Great, great. So, Andy, I wanted to to talk about um, some things that you that I know that you have been researching and working in the last uh, couple of years, more or less. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've been working in topics related with um, performance engineering mainly. Mm -hmm. And my mm -hmm. my first question is. Uh, why do you like it? Do you find it uh, challenging? What, what's, uh, do you recommend other engineers to join this field? Why do you like it? Yeah, I, I got hooked on performance with my first day back in 2001 is when I started with a company called Segway Software, which then became Borland and I think is now Microfocus or I think so, yeah. Uh, but I, I it was my second job and I started is a tester on a performance testing tool. The tool back then was called Silk Performer. And um, I started as an engineer, but in order to start as an engineer, you first went through three months of, of testing. So I did testing on a performance testing tool, which was really cool. And I was very lucky. I had a lot of great mentors, uh, especially in that company. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Ernst Ampichl, Uh, he's one of the architects uh, back then at Segway, and now he's also at Dynatrace, where I'm, uh, where I'm currently working. And he he taught me a lot about uh, performance testing, uh, performance engineering. Also, Dietmar Strasser, who was my first boss in in that company, and others along the way. And I believe I think that the re the reason why I still love it because I believe performance and 
efficient systems are, are more important than ever because we're all frustrated if things are not as fast as we expect and don't work as expected, right? So I think we can contribute to making software perform better and faster and more efficient. And that's why I still love it. Yeah. And apart for, from, from what you just mentioned, do you see any other change in the, in the profession in the, since you started to, to now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, back in the days, as I said, 2001 is when I started. We were mainly testing uh, back in the days the classical monolithic. Uh, it was it was .NET, uh, not even .NET applications. It was uh, Microsoft applications running on some Windows servers, right? The classical web applications, uh, stuff running on IIS and a SQL Server in the back end. Then some some Java enterprise, big Java enterprise applications with the database in the back end. And, and now things have moved, right? Obviously, we all know the trend towards smaller service-oriented components that overall make very complex systems, and there's a lot of moving pieces. What's interesting, though, I think a lot of the, the basic principles of performance engineering are still the same, regardless whether you have just a big front-end and one database or whether you have 10 different microservices in the end, there's two things that talk to each other through constrained resources. And that could be a network, this could be a connection pool, where there are certain things that connect systems, whether they're just two components or 20,000 components. And therefore, things have changed because there's more moving pieces, but the general principles of performance engineering looking at the key metrics like CPU, memory, network, disk, latency, um, looking at connection pool sizes, thread pools, this, a lot of things still have, have stayed the same. Yeah, 100% with you. I remember that when I started a couple of years after you started, um, the, the, the main challenges for, for us were, were related to how to process the data and analyze the data. I remember the first day I, I had the possibility to use Dynatrace and it, it was like, whoa, uh, this is another, uh, you know, yeah. another way of working and you don't spend time in the, you know, in the <laughs> spreadsheet, <Yeah. laughs> things like this, like trying to correlate variables or things like this. And you put your efforts in analyzing the, the, the behavior of the system. So uh, it's, uh, it's really interesting to see how the, the field and the profession is evolving. And we have more and more tools to uh, help us in, in those analysis, in, this, uh, in the optimizations we can, we can do, but also the challenges evolve. So yeah. what, what do you think are the most common challenges nowadays for performance engineers? Well, I think that the challenge is that we, we have systems that are scaling very rapidly, but we don't scale the number of performance engineers in the same rapid race uh, or pace, right? So we're building more and more services that are deployed more and more frequently, yet the performance engineers don't grow on trees and you can also not just do a clone and, and that's just not possible. So that's why I believe the biggest not challenge yet, for... No, not yet. <laughs> yeah, who knows? That's why I think the biggest challenge and I think the biggest thing that people should think of performance engineers or in general organizations is how we can automate as much as possible from the performance engineering discipline, all the know-how that we have. So how can we automate... Uh, prop, uh, like test execution, test analysis, and how can we integrate this into the uh, regular development workflow lifecycle? Um, I'm, I've been 
I've been trying to tell people, you know, if you are, if you think you're a great performance engineer, great, but you should not, you should, you should take what you have in your head, your, all of your experience and try to automate the work that you, that you're doing and then make it available for an API. So this can be integrated in your CI CD system so that every developer can benefit from it because you as a performance engineer in a company, you should not become the bottleneck if you have more and more developers trying to get performance feedback from their microservice. So that's why I think that the biggest challenge is um, automating performance engineering as, as much as possible and provide it, as I call it, as a self-service for every engineer that needs to have performance feedback at any given point in time. This is kind of a funny paradox that you we we are trying to find the bottlenecks, <laughs> and we could be the we, bottlenecks. We become the bottlenecks. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Cool. So before we we delve into the Captain, which is the the two uh, the open source project where you are working in in all these related things, um, I want to to talk a little bit before about some basic concepts that maybe are related with that. For example, uh, SLAs, SLOs, SLIs, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, quality, quality gates. Yes. Maybe, yeah. maybe you can uh, give us like a, a basic idea of what the, these terms mean. Yeah. So, um, first of all, we didn't come up with it. So, uh, I think uh, even, even Google didn't come up with it, but I think Google did a great job in promoting these concepts. So, these three S terms, SLI stands for service level indicator. To keep it very easy, a service level indicator is like a metric, something we can measure, an indicator, like uh, throughput, failure rate, resource consumption, like CPU. Then an SLO is an objective. So what is the objective for a metric that you can measure? So for instance, what is your objective for failure rate if you bring the system under productive load? What is your objective of memory usage if your system is under peak load? What is your objective of response time or latency if your system is under load, right? What do you expect the system? Because if the system does not behave based on your objective, you're not meeting your criteria and that's why you probably go back to the engineers and say, we need to make this faster, more efficient. So SLIs and SLOs, indicators and objectives. And then the third one is SLAs. And I think this is a term that has been around and known for longer. Basically, an SLA is what happens if we actually run systems in production and we don't meet our objectives. There might be a legal obligation. There might be a contract we have with our third parties that are using our software. So these are basically what happens if our SLOs are not met in production, then we may need to pay penalty. Then we may have, as I said, some, some obligations. Or we, use, we lose users because we, are, we don't deliver a good service. Yeah. And, and so these are the three terms. And if people want to read up more, Google has done a phenomenal job in explaining this concept and promoting it as part of their site reliability engineering practices. So SRE is the short, the, uh, the acronym. Um, they have done a great job, great online material out there. Yeah, and, and I can imagine, I, I will share the, the link in the uh, podcast notes. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is, these terms or these ideas are very important when you want to, as we were talking before, when you want to automate processes uh, and analysis and, and make automatic decisions 
I imagine in, in order to promote from one environment to the other, according to the performance results you you get, you you receive. Right? Exactly. So this is where the quality gates come in. But before I talk about those, let me re 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 say something that or, or make people aware of a very critical thing here. At least in my experience as a performance engineer, I had many projects where people asked me to run performance tests, but they really had no clear understanding of what is actually the goal, what is good and what is bad, right? So they say, run a test with, with a thousand users and then tell me what the numbers are. But it should actually be the other way around. You should, you should start from what are our objectives? What do we expect the system? What are our non-functional requirements? What are our SLIs, our SLOs and SLAs? once it's in production and then from that work backwards and then say, okay, if we need to ensure these metrics in production, how can we test for them? And it's in production, you may have five metrics that you're interested in, like uh, availability, latency, error rate, and so on. But then as a, as a seasoned performance engineer, you should think of, okay, what is impacting the response time for the end user of this application. Well, there's many moving pieces, there's the database, there's the network between the microservices, there's Kubernetes. So then you as a performance engineer should say, before it goes to production, we want to look at all of these metrics as often as we can, fully automated, and, and alerting developers in case these metrics are not going into the right direction. And this is where quality gates come in. I mean, quality gates, again, not a new concept, but what we are trying to promote is integrating SLI and SLO checks on important metrics every time you build and you, you deploy a new test uh, and deploy a new version of your system in a pre-production environment. Um, when you run tests every time, look at the metrics and then compare them with your previous build, compare them against your objective. And in case you're not meeting your objective or in case you see a slow degradation that eventually will lead up in the problem, already alert the engineers about it. Yeah, I find that in many cases, the performance engineer needs to assess the different stakeholders in order to define those SLOs. Because many times you, you, you want to, you know, the requirements and they yeah. say, I don't know. <laughs> Give me the numbers, as you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll see. But this is not the best approach for sure. to make a short pause to thank Abstracta for sponsoring this podcast. Abstracta is a company fully dedicated to software testing that can work with you to push the quality of your products and processes to the next level. Great. So um, how do we continue? We can talk about how Captain helps us to automate... Yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe, 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 you know, so Captain, I know, thanks for, first of all, for letting me talk about Captain. So Captain uh, is an open source project that we have brought uh, into this world, I would say, right, last year. It is a CNCF, so a Cloud Native Computing Foundation project, uh, spelled K-E-P-T-N, it's the German phonetic for a Captain. Um, with Captain, we wanted to solve a couple of problems well, we wanted to provide a new solution to things we know are problems in continuous delivery and in, 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 in operations of large systems. We wanted to automate 
a lot of aspects around delivery. So Captain can actually orchestrate the delivery process of your applications, of your services, and whatever platform. Uh, at a very core point, Captain uses uh, the approach of SLIs and SLOs, meaning everything you do with Captain, every deployment you uh, Captain executes, every test it executes, it then always reaches out to your monitoring data or your test data and looks at the metrics that you specified as your SLIs and then compares them against your service level objectives. And this is why I think, and this is great that we talk about this here in this podcast, I think for performance engineers, especially or any type of quality aware person, Captain is automating an otherwise very manual and long task, which is after a deployment happens, after you run your tests, it reaches out to your test results, to your monitoring data that was collected while your tests were running, is pulling that data in, and is then comparing it for you in a smart way. And then it is what we've tried to do here. We are, we are calculating a so-called uh, deployment score or a quality gate score. So we can look at two metrics, at 20 metrics, at 200 metrics, but we always calculate a score between zero and 100, which then indicates what is the quality of this particular build that we've just tested. And with this number between zero and 100, where zero is very bad and 100 is the best, you can then make an automated decision on what to do with this particular version. Do you wanna keep it or push it to the next stage in your pipeline or do you wanna throw it back? And if things are bad, Captain also tells you which metrics have actually shown a regression. Uh, did response time go up with your latest code change? Did memory consumption go up? Do you now make more database calls than before? Uh, do you now run on five pod instances and before you always ran on two pod instances with the same load? So these are things that Captain automates. So it really automates the task of analyzing data from one or multiple tools and aggregating this data up to a single number between zero and 100 to make automated decisions. And I guess if you have 20 different metrics, you can ponderate differently each of them, right? Exactly. So the, the great thing is the way we've implemented it is you can define on every metric. So again, we, we call it SLI. On every indicator, you can define what is the objective. And the objective could either be an absolute value like you can say response time for this service or for this endpoint has to be 100 milliseconds but you can also combine it with um, i want it to be faster than 100 milliseconds but i also want to make sure we're not getting slower by more than five percent to the previous build because then you have a regression that you want to look at earlier before you reach the 100 millisecond limit so that means you can specify this on every single SLI, on every single metric. And what you can also do is you can wait, give a different weight for every metric, which means maybe response time is not the most important metric for you. Maybe failure rate is the most important metric, or maybe it's five times as important than, than response time. So you can give it a different weight, which will then be included in the calculation of the overall score. So very flexible in that way. Excellent. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, another question that comes to my mind because I've seen in this different pro um, companies where they are at that different stage, let's say, and in some cases I say, "Wow, this is what they need to solve so many inefficiencies they have." Maybe. Mm -hmm. 
And in some other cases, I would say mm, maybe they need to first focus on some other things before they get to, to that point. You know, so do, do you have identify which, um, in which state you should be, which things you, yeah. you should have already in place? Yes. Um, so what you need to have in place is a system that can produce uh, consistent data, meaning you should have a system, you should have invested in a continuous integration, a continuous delivery environment where you can deploy a new version and then run tests that produce let's say, kind of stable result. And with stable results, I mean, the, the tests are always, they, they, they're not flaky, they're not breaking all the time. But every time I have a new build, I can trigger my, let's say, Jenkins pipeline or whatever you have, and it, it builds it, it deploys it, and it, it runs a set of, you know, tests that are consistently executed and consistently at least produce results. Because the thing is, if you have flaky tests, if you have a flaky test environment, then the best captain doesn't help you because if your metrics are completely off all the time, then you don't know, you don't yeah. have a baseline. You never get a baseline. Yeah, yeah the decision so, is going to be made on, on false positives. or Exactly, exactly. So that's, that means, so to, to answer your question, what do people need to have? They need to have some automation in place and automated tests to deploy and then run the tests against a new version of an app. And, and I've seen a lot of our captain adopters using either uh, Jenkins, where they have done this, where they're using GitLab for that. Azure DevOps is also very prominent, um, where they have already invested in automated build, automated deployment, and in automated testing. Cool, excellent. And uh, what's the best and easiest way to, to get started with it? To get started with it, um, I think the best is to go to our website, captain.sh or you can go to the GitHub repository. So it's github.com slash captain captain. This is where you can find all the information about actually what is captain, what are the different use cases and how to get started. We have a couple of tutorials online under tutorials.captain.sh where we show you how to install captain on different environments and how to use the different use cases because captain itself, to be honest, I mean, not to be honest, but to tell you what, what the architecture looks like. Captain is an event-driven system and it needs to be installed on Kubernetes. So while Captain itself basically provides automation use cases and they can be applied to any type of app deployed anywhere, but Captain itself, the application, runs on Kubernetes. And here we know that while Kubernetes, everybody's moving to Kubernetes, not everybody is, is familiar with Kubernetes. You may don't have a Kubernetes cluster, you don't have expertise. That's why we have also, we are providing installation options with lightweight Kubernetes um, uh, distributions. Uh, one that we're using heavily is K3S. So K3S, you can install on any Linux machine. And we have uh, tutorials on how to install Captain in three minutes. And then you can just use it. It's like you just install a binary, basically, right? Um, so I want to say, don't, get, don't be afraid. If, if Captain runs on Kubernetes, you don't have to bring a lot of Kubernetes skills to, to get it running. OK, so you, you, made, you made things easy to just get it started. Right. Exactly, because and the reason why we made it that easy, because we ourselves struggled, right? We, we, we made a strategic decision for Kubernetes because we needed the event-driven model. We needed the high availability. We wanted all these capabilities that Kubernetes provides. But then 
we also, when we started, we had, we had not a whole lot of Kubernetes experience and we saw our first adopters to really struggle with it. That's why we said, how can we make sure that people get to Captain and they're not already stop at the front door because they don't know how to open the door? Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the thing. It's amazing to see how open source projects like these uh, are here available for anyone to to take advantage of of what you are working and providing and and helping us helping others to catch up with the latest uh, methodologies and and trends. And so, thank you so so much for that. Yeah. I, I think that I think the the community is also very thankful thankful. Yeah. Andreas, a couple, a couple of, of other questions. Um, do you have any habits? Because uh, in, in talking about productivity, you know, I have to mention that last week I sent you the idea of participating in this podcast and you say yes, and here we are. So <laughs> I wonder if you have any trick related to productivity that you, you want to share? Uh, that's a good question. So... I think if you love what you're doing, it is easier to get stuff done and you're actually getting a lot of stuff done. Um, but I also have to say I am not doing this always well uh, because I, I think I suffer from the same problem that we all suffer. We are constantly um, kind of getting a Slack message here, an email here, a Twitter feed here. We're constantly getting distracted and we're constantly constantly context switching right um, and this is actually not not that good because it's just uh, slows you down so i think and this is actually a funny a funny thing the most productive i am is when i'm on the airplane um, <laughs> unfortunately right now i'm no longer on the plane um, but the reason why i am productive on the plane is not because of the comfortable seat, which economy class most of the time is not that comfortable. <laughs> but the reason is I made a decision that I never go online when on the plane. So I, ne I have zero distractions on the plane, which is why I typically fly and then I crank out blog posts or a new library or something like this. Um, I'm doing a really bad job these days in trying to disconnect also now as we're working from home because I'm always connected. But sometimes I, when I say, okay, I, I need to block time and I just focus on one work and that whatever happens, I'm just like, I'm simulating I'm on the plane. I'm not available. <laughs> I think this is very important. Yeah, yeah to, to yeah. have some, some blocks where you focus on one single task. That's what it is, right? Yeah, right. exactly. And uh, I don't know if you like reading, if you have any book to recommend. Yeah, it's actually interesting. And I'm actually using an app these days. It's called Blinkist. I'm not sure if you heard about Blinkist. Um, it's an app. They have taken a lot of these, let's say, uh, a lot of uh, books, not, 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 um, not novels, but uh, industry books. And, uh, um, and they basically kind of condensed it into something you can read in 15 minutes. Basically, it's a summary of every book that is, in, that is meaningful in your line of work. Uh, there's books around technology, books on you know, like, you know, physical health and the mental health and, and all sorts of things like history. And they kind of condense it into 15 minutes and you can either read the Blinkists, the, the Blinks as they call it, or they also have for some now a um, like a, a, a podcast version of it. And interesting enough, the one I heard or read the, la the last 
the last one was called limit was called limitless and it's about also the our brain is actually limitless but often we're limiting ourselves because for instance constant distractions so i can really recommend that book it's called limitless by jim quick k-w-i-k i read it or i heard it on a blinkist um, but you can also you know get this book so but that's a great book and another great book i can recommend is i read this in my last vacation it's called team topologies um, uh, you can get it on teamtopologies.com really interesting how modern organizations should structure their teams um, and it's been uh, it's it it also goes a lot so software organizations especially uh, how you should organize your teams with value creation team platform teams um, then the one is called the um, the special teams that have that are in, involved when maintaining let's say more complex system or complex system teams really interesting so how to organize your team structures for modern software delivery Interesting. Team topologies, yeah. Interesting. Thank you. Do you want to invite our listeners to to anything to join one of your podcasts or? Uh, yeah, if you of course, uh, I run a podcast with my colleague Brian Wilson. Uh, it's called Pure Performance. So Pure Performance. It's all about performance. Uh, we've been doing this for three and a half years now. Whoa. And we had a lot of people on the call on the podcast. It started as a fun project, and three and a half years later. It's really cool. <laughs> it's still there. And yeah, I can just say, you know, feel free to follow me on Twitter or on LinkedIn or GitHub or whatever you want. Um, my uh, username is typically Grabner Andy. So it's my last name, Grabner, and then A-N-D-I. And you can, you can see my content. Um, it would be great if people can take a look at Captain, give us feedback, Tell us what they like. Tell us what they don't like. Tell us what they miss. Uh, join the Captain Slack channel, slack.captain.sh. And yeah, let's, uh, you know, help uh, the world to build better software. <laughs> that's it. That's it. A, a good motivation. Yeah. Andy, muchas gracias. <laughs> De nada. Adios. Adios. I hope your sense for quality got better after this conversation. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe to Quality Sense Podcast. Tell your friends, your family, your colleagues or whoever you think can benefit from listening to it. I hope to see you soon. Adios amigos.